Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, we got a little ways to go here on this podcast, and this is very important stuff, so we have to work our way through it. You really have to understand what your government is up to, and this is one of the ways to do it. It's to listen to the representatives of the government, the extensions of the state, talk about what they are doing, what they are doing, and then start to ask yourself, does it make sense? Does it make sense what they're doing and the reasons that they give you for doing this stuff? Because to me, it does not make sense. All right, let's continue where we uh, where we left off. And that I think grabs the interest of younger warfighters, especially. So something just this is an interesting place to insert a, a point is that there's going to be a huge commercial driver for a lot of these technologies. And this one's a perfect example um, the worldwide market for all of these technologies is really going to dwarf the, the, the defense uh, application space. Imagine the ability to restore functionality in somebody who's no, no longer mobile. Once that technology matures to the point where it's a viable commercial product, um, industry is going to flock there with, with investment dollars that will dwarf all of the combined military investment budgets uh, because there's so much money to be made. Okay, okay. So he's talking about all this transhumanist technology will be adopted by the private sector, and all these investment dollars are going to flow in that dwarfs the uh, military budgets. But what he's not telling you is that the military and the government are the ones who are funding all the research and development inside the universities and the private sector. We showed you yesterday, kind of broke that down for you to show you that the government are the ones who think tank this stuff and they push it out into the private sector for wider adoption. And so again, they're not building exoskeleton suits to cure your grandmother of arthritis, okay? That's not what this is for. You'll see in the next episode, the second part of this discussion, where the ethics guys talk about the only way to make this fair and equitable, because you can't have soldiers just coming back from war running around with the strength of the Incredible Hulk and an Iron Man suit attached to their body. So the only way to make it fair and equitable is to offer it to everyone. The ultimate goal for some of these folks with transhumanism is to merge everyone with machine 
But I always bring up the point that the ultimate goal is going to be to engineer humanity out of existence because that is the only logical conclusion when you're allowing the engineers and scientists to run free and you're funding them and you're encouraging them to do this stuff. The next logical conclusion is to engineer humanity out of existence. As you see that they're always trying to make humanity more perfect with the DNA slicing, gene editing and such, and then with the merger with machine. Well, a man can only pick up, you know, 100 pounds with his arm. So let's give him a robotic arm that could pick up 1,000 pounds. Well, why 1,000 pounds, says the next engineer. It could be 2,000 pounds. Well, the the human's um, shoulder couldn't bear the weight even with the robotic arm. Oh, okay. Well, let's cut off his shoulder and we'll replace that with a bionic uh, shoulder. The next engineer says, well, that's a great idea, but we want him to be able to pick up a building. Well, he can't pick up a building. The shoulder can't bear that weight. Oh, well, why don't we DNA modify him and we'll make him 20 feet tall? I mean, before... It's over, folks. Humans are out of the equation because they'll never be perfect enough for the scientist or the engineer. And artificial intelligence, the super artificial intelligence that they say will be smarter than all humans, will be the ultimate super engineer that will completely engineer everything out of existence because they can always find problems. They can always find problems problems they can always find inefficiencies and such all the time when you're looking for problems all day you will find problems all right let's continue i agree 100 percent on that peter and the i think on both sides of it right there's going to be commercial interest because people will think this is cool and want to have it and be able to do things with it um, and it, it, you know, there's a whole sort of entertainment value to it. Then there's a whole piece of it that has functionality, like are people going to use suits like this because they work in warehouses or on loading pl- docks and loading platforms, and it'll become like a, you know, a tool that is for you know work purposes instead of driving one of those big pallet carts. You know, you'll have this suit and you'll be able to just pick up pallets of stuff maybe. Um, and then the third piece of it is. Oh, yeah, right. So you and I are still going to have a job working in a warehouse when the exoskeleton robot suits exist. What do they even need us for at that point? Do you see what I'm saying? It's really that humans are the bridge, uh, sort of uh, the connective tissue between this rudimentary technology and then the full-blown AI robots. They're just going to use us as the connective tissue between the two until they can weed humans out completely from the process we've actually heard that before i believe it was in the lars butler artificial intelligence foundation series we did for you probably my emails my personal emails with rob mallory of the artificial intelligence foundation and they talked about having one of my voice actors there to do obama so that if their ai deep fake barack obama say couldn't answer a question based on the artificial brain the artificial intelligence backbone in the middle of a investor an investor presentation 
then the human could jump in and make up, you know, a sentence, say something while the AI is catching up. And they called that, I think, like in the human loop. But eventually the human wouldn't need to be there. So say they're going to strap this on you and put a brain chip in your head so you could pick up pallets in a warehouse. Right. They're going to have they're going to have half robot cyborg men walking around in the Amazon warehouse. I'm telling you, folks, it's crazy. And when I talk about it uh, coming up in a future episode, my theory behind technocratic transhumanism, you know, it's going to blow your mind because one of the tenets of technocracy behind the uh, ideology of technocracy is that the scientists and the engineers want to rule over society. And the goal is to make society operate uh, completely efficient. And so they want to control the means of production and the means of distribution, very similar to communism. Uh, We won't get into that right now. But basically the goal is that they want to have an abundance of goods. So what they're going to do is they are going to control the workforce, the scientists and engineers, and they will develop all of the workforce schedules so that the system operates 24-7-365. And what they promise you for allowing them to do this is you only have to work like three days in a row, and then you'll get a break. But basically, they want it running 24-7-365, and then they have an abundance of goods you know, that we need to live on, And so then they're going to handle the distribution of the goods and the rationing of the goods. Well, I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, I like to talk about gig work. Well, we are effectively in the technocracy, at least a hybrid of a technocracy right now, as far as that sort of old school ideology comes from, because the scientists and the engineer (coughs) and the uh, businessmen who uh, believe they are the experts, they've already started to control a large portion of the blue-collar workforce, and they are controlling the distribution of the goods through the gig work industry. As I've told you before, it's something like 50 to 60 million people out of 350 million, uh, about out of 200 million that can work in the United States that are doing gig work either part or full-time. And so... They're controlling the schedules in which and when these people work to keep the system running 24-7, 365. And at the same time, they're controlling the distribution of the goods, much like Amazon, which now uses gig workers. So eventually, if all of the brick-and-mortar stores are gone and everything is warehoused, And let's say eventually they manufacture the goods in the warehouse and then they handle, because everything will be 3D printed. That's one of the goals of the fourth industrial revolution. So they can 3D print all the products in the warehouse and then they handle the distribution of the goods. I mean, that is technocracy. So we are effectively in it now and you didn't need to push it through, quote unquote, the government because they're able to do it through the government's private sector partners, which are just an extension of the government. That's why I told you it's the state that's actually behind this. The state is the system. The state is the matrix. So 
Think about that for a minute, folks, because we are already in the technocracy. That's part of the fourth industrial revolution is to move us into the fourth industrial era. And so you're seeing the fourth industrial revolution in full swing as the technocrats take control of the work schedules and then the processing and the distribution of goods. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, let me pull something up for you quickly. Because I think it's, I think this is important right now. All right, I'm going to read the next paragraph in the Cyborg Soldier 2050 document uh, after where I left off before. I just want to show you how they've already thought through bringing this stuff to the masses and making it widely acceptable. It says, uh, although the control of military hardware, enhanced situational awareness, and faster data assimilation afforded by direct neural control would fundamentally alter the battlefield by the year 2050, the other three cyborg technologies are also likely to be adopted in some form of warfighters in civil society. Now, just so you know... Again, this document was published in 2019. They researched it in partially 2018 and 19. I don't believe it's 2050. I actually believe it's much sooner than that. But it says uh, the BHPC study group predicted that human machine enhancement technologies will become widely available before the year 2050 and will steadily mature, largely driven by civilian demand and a robust bioeconomy that is at its earliest stages of developments in today's global market. We'll go back to 2018 and just see how much it, it has advanced in four years. Okay. Goes on to say the global healthcare market will fuel human machine enhancement technologies. All right. That's basically the brain interface and then these prosthetic arms, primarily to augment the loss of functionality from injury or disease, again, using those human guinea pigs to tug at the uh, heartstrings and uh, play to human emotions. goes on to say, and defense applications will likely not drive the market in its later stages. Okay, so (laughs) the defense applications will likely not drive the market in its later stages. So, if they're only building this stuff for the military, then why are they worried about driving the market at all, right? And if the military built this and kept a handle on it and it was illegal for everyone else to develop this, just like they try to make certain weapons illegal, certain guns are illegal, you can't have this military flamethrower. It's illegal. But you can have the Neuralink brain chip 
It goes on to say the BHPC study group anticipated that the gradual introduction of beneficial restorative cyborg technologies will, to an extent, exlimitize the population to their use, right? So the gradual introduction of beneficial restorative cyborg technologies, right? Do you understand? So they're saying the gradual introduction through these this medical field, right, to restore lost limbs as they test on the human guinea pigs will help introduce the population uh, to their use. The whole point is to normalize and to humanize this technology that the military is building and make it widely accepted. And in the second part of this podcast, you're going to hear the ethics guys talk about just that. All right, let's continue where we left off. What's it doing for, um, in, a, in a therapeutic way, like would elderly people with arthritis, for example, is this a mitigation and enable them to uh, walk and play sports again and do things they want to do um, despite arthritic joints? So it is a whole, I can see a whole host of applications for this technology in particular um, that crosses both commercial, entertainment, work applications, labor applications, and DOD applications. You see, okay, so that's why I read you that because she just summed that up. So there's all these different applications for this technology, but if they're just using it to build cyborg soldiers, why does the private sector, so-called private sector, even know about it? Right. So it's not like there's 17 separate entities developing the same exact thing at the same exact time on the same exact trajectory. It's all being fueled out of the military. And then the goal is to adopt it widely amongst the public. I mean, that's how you turn everyone into cyborgs. That's how you turn everyone into transhuman Frankenstein monsters. All right, let's continue. We'll be right back. Okay, so she's going to run in this uh, short commercial break here, folks. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually skip past that because the way that we break this down here, we don't have to uh, run that. But basically, for all of you who want to check it out, it's military.com. And you can look up the podcast Left of Boom. And uh, I believe these were episodes six and seven on the cyborg super soldiers. All right, let's pick this back up here. Not only something like their own wired in prosthetics, but also objects and machines using their minds. Dr. Deulis, what do you envision this technology looking like? And this is something I found particularly interesting. Who might be most likely to, to get it in the military setting? Wow, that's a big question. Um, well, first, let me just back up and talk about this one vignette in particular, because of all the vignettes that we discussed um, throughout the study, this is the one that had the most potential as a game-changing kind of technology, um, not just for defense, but in the face of what our adversaries might be doing and how um, technology is changing our posture with our adversaries. So the other ones, we could look at those and say, yes, if 
our adversaries are adopting more physical enhancements if they're adopting auditory or other kinds of enhancements. We would see these things growing apace in our militaries and, and other countries' militaries. But this is one where um, we really need to think about what are the implications of this, because we're talking about when you're looking at direct enhancements of the brain, that's a fundamental change in the behavior of human beings. Okay, so now she's talking about the direct neural enhancement of human brain for two-way data transfer. And so that's the paragraph that I read you in the last segment, I believe. So let's pay attention to this because this gets into the actual Neuralink brain chip uh, and other iterations of that, as well as the transcranial electronic stimulation helmet of which DARPA is studying uh, called the N-Cube program. All right, let's continue. Right. It fundamentally changes. Go ahead, Peter. Maybe we should just describe what it is uh, very quickly. And then I want to jump back to Diane. What we're talking about is not essentially uh, just placing blunt force electrodes to stimulate neurons, but we're actually, this enhancement is the meeting of a machine and, and nerve endings at a cellular level, which mm -hmm. in effect means that there's direct communication between one cell and another cell transferring information, and that allows for a high bandwidth transfer in a two-way fashion of information between man and machine. And that's mm -hmm. not where we are right now, but we're studying that and we're, and, and we're making progress. And once we make that breakthrough, that's the, that's the revolutionary, not evolutionary, but the revolutionary change that alters all of these technologies, really. I was okay, okay, okay. Let's pause that for a second because you need to hear that again. Listen to Dr. Peter Emanuel's words carefully, right? Because Dr. Diane Deulius said, you know, basically studying these other militaries and our adversaries and what are they going to use. And then what does Dr. Peter Emanuel say? Let's continue here. Meeting of a machine and, and nerve endings at a cellular level, which mm -hmm. in effect means that there's direct communication between one cell and another cell transferring information. And that allows for a high bandwidth transfer in a two-way fashion of information between man and machine. Okay, right, so you understand that. It's, it's a high-speed transfer of data between man and machine. Now, are you ready? Just, just listen carefully. And that's not where we are right now, but. Okay, that's not where we are right now. But what does he say? We're studying that and we're, and, and we're making progress. And once we... We're studying that and we're making progress. Right? So he's talking about a technology that does not yet exist, at least supposedly does not yet exist. Or you and I, the general public, are not supposed to know that it exists. But he's saying that they're studying it and they are close. They are studying the so they're developing it, folks. They're not studying it. They're researching it and developing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah, the state is doing it. I'm going to back that up so you can hear it one more time. For a high bandwidth transfer in a two-way fashion of information between man and machine. 
And that's mm. not where we are right now, but we're studying that and we're, and, and we're making progress. And once we make that breakthrough, that's the, that's the revolutionary, not evolutionary, but the revolutionary change. We're making progress. And once we have that breakthrough, it's not evolutionary, it's revolutionary. Revolutionary, right? This is a revolutionary moment. Write this down if you take notes. It's a revolutionary moment for the transhumanists when they have this technology. And he says they're not there yet, but they're making progress. And once they have it, it's a revolutionary moment. So there you go. There you have the United States government represented at this moment, the state represented by Dr. Peter Emanuel, telling you that they are working on this revolutionary moment in transhumanism. All right, I'm going to let this finish out here. That alters all of these technologies, really. I was going to ask you, Peter, her original question talked about who in the military would get this? And I thought you'd be better to answer that one than I would. But we did talk about an enhancement and how, how the DOD would operate, how warfighters would operate together, given that someone could be enhanced, right, in this particular way. So how does that work? Um, if there's a group of individuals and one of them can receive information directly into the brain. Yeah, you see how Hope, Hope Hodge uh, sec the host basically cut him off and moved on because this guy was saying we've reached this revolutionary moment once we can do this and we are studying it we're making progress and once we hit it it's this revolutionary moment in transhumanism this is this is very important folks this is your government admitting that they're doing it I mean, he's not talking about Elon Musk is studying it. He wasn't saying China's studying it. He said, we are studying it and we are making progress. We're not there yet, but this will be a revolutionary moment that makes all of those other technologies they discussed, the ocular enhancements, the auditory enhancements, and the optogenic bodysuit sensor web enhancement even more powerful. Let's just see what, uh, let's see how they answer this. On the situational awareness, on, they're getting data uh, that the other members of that unit are not getting, right? So now there has to be a level of trust there and how these operators are gonna work together because this one person has this. How is that person selected? And do, do, do individuals want to have this advancement or not? And so all of those questions were things we discussed at the workshop when we talked about this particular vignette. And then we talked about it in the context of what about our allies? Okay, we ha if we start, if at some point. And, and I apologize, folks. I said it was Hope Hodge Sec that cut him off. It was Dr. Diane Dulius who cut him off, which is even more telling because they're co-authors in this paper and she cut him off to jump in there and redirect the conversation. Let's continue. 2050 and beyond, you know, we have this kind of capability. Are our allies going to have that capability? What's the, how is that information shared um, between militaries and so forth? Peter, you can probably speak a little bit more to that than I can. No, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, here's, let's talk about this one about how it might appear on the battlefield because it, I think it, it kind of helps 
Um, and we can talk about all the vignettes now. Let's just talk about operationalizing the technology. So now, in effect, you have uh, one individual who now has access to large amounts of information coming in from visual, from auditory, uh, from satellite imagery that can be directly uploaded inside their organic brain. And they're seeing and, and interpreting and chewing and, and being able to make actionable decisions based on information coming in potentially from a drone flying 20 miles away or a satellite overhead in space. And so now this person is in effect a command and control person on the move. And so right now the Department of Defense is exploring operations in a multi-domain operation battle space. And that means that um, we can expect to be contested in the air, the land, the sea, and we want to dominate. We want to, we want to essentially be able to control now, in addition to that, we are in a more expeditionary posture, which means that we're going to be fast-moving uh, units that may be cut off or constrained for periods of time. And so you're going to have a small battle group moving very fast, maybe what we call on the edge. Okay, so now what he's talking about is exactly how this technology is going to be utilized on the battlefield, right? So you're going to have one guy who is the leader of a team, let's say, who has access to all of this information. Folks, this is, all right, if you haven't picked it up yet, if you don't understand, we're not just talking about the military uh, purposes for this technology. You're talking about now, it doesn't matter if it's the leader of the unit or it's you or it's me who becomes the human guinea pig for this experiment. But what they're effectively talking about here, the ability to beam down multiple pieces of information into your brain for you to be able to handle all of this stuff coming in and how you're actually going to process it, right? So your head doesn't explode uh, or you don't end up uh, going into uh, some kind of... Uh, you know, a health attack like the macaque monkey that Elon Musk is playing with and they have to um, euthanize you. No, what, they, what they're referring to here, what this is going to be, you can see it, folks, clearly. These are the experiments. This is the technology that leads to the downloading of, let's say, the AI hive mind that Ray Kurzweil talks to into your brain, this massive super data dump that you get into your brain. So you have multiple pieces of information coming from many places, all coming back into your head. How can you process that? How can you handle it? How can you decipher it? How can you utilize it? You know, and how can you live and survive by beaming down the, you know, third layer of your brain, the silicone-based cloud-stored neocortex, as Ray Kurzweil explains it, folks. It's all very real. It's all right here. And they send out Dr. Peter Emanuel and Dr. Diane Dulius to talk about it publicly, and they unclassify the document the study they did for the u.s army they're not hiding it folks the technocrats are on the march the transhumanists are looking for that revolutionary moment that dr peter emmanuel talked about ladies and gentlemen sleep on that seriously absorb this stuff take it home with you think about it
as we move forward into next episode where we're going to finish up this podcast and then i'm going to introduce you to the ethics guys that are the ones in charge of worrying about how we do all this ethically how do we ethically move forward with transhumanism how do we ethically engineer humans out of existence ladies and gentlemen i'm dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.